Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We're coming back to look at our foundation again, looking at our foundation. This is part four, and I'm going to call this Giving and Prayer. We are looking in depth at the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. We've looked at the Beatitudes and being salt and light in this world, how we should not conform to this world, but stand out as followers of Christ. We looked at what Jesus taught about conflict and how murder starts in our hearts. And last time, we looked at what Jesus taught about having a heart for others to love even our enemies. Having that heart for others, truly caring for God and for other people, that's still a big part of what Jesus is talking about in this session. Understand that Jesus is laying this foundation for us, a foundation based on truly following God and the heart of His law. Here, Jesus is still teaching us how to have godly hearts. So if we look at Matthew chapter 6, we're ready for chapter 6 now. We'll look at the first four verses, 1 through 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly." Now, this is another heart issue. The Pharisees would blow a trumpet before they gave alms, charity, so everyone would see how great they were, how terrific they were. They were missing out on God's blessing because of this attitude of theirs. Now, there are good and correct reasons to give to others and to give to the needy. And one such reason, and probably our primary reason, is to please God. If we look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, But do not forget to do good and share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. God is a giving God, and so if we want to represent Him and act like Him, we need to be giving. We should care for others to please God, not to please men. If we look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about the prosperity gospel um, that gets preached by a lot of people. I'm not signing on for that. But God does promise his blessings, whether it is in this life or in heaven in the next life. We are assured that God will bless us for doing good and doing well. Another reason is because we care for other people. As Christ sympathized with us, we should have that same heart for others, because we could be the one in need at some point. And we see a little bit of this even in the old law. If you look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. 
God reminds his children to be kind to others, even those who are not a part of us, because we are also strangers in this world. And as a couple of quick examples of that, the fact that we are strangers in this world, if we're following God, if we're a Christian, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, we are travelers and strangers in this land. We're strangers here, and some translations will call us aliens in some verses because of this. If we look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven. That's why we are strangers and sojourners and aliens here. We're not citizens of this world anymore. Just as Christ's kingdom is not of this world, neither is ours. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, ruled by Jesus, our King. So, we are to be kind to others, to please God the Father. We do not need the praise of other people when we do something charitable or a good deed to someone. It's enough to know that God sees and He's pleased. He will reward us in His time and in His way. Now if we look in verse 3 and 4, Jesus tells us to do our charity in secret. We don't need to publicize it or blow a horn so everyone knows. We should keep it to ourselves or just do it quietly without fanfare, right? That doesn't mean we will never be seen doing a good deed or, or doing something for charity, but it does mean we won't make a big deal out of it. We won't become proud or boastful or arrogant. Instead, we will just consider it our duty as a faithful servant. Now here, the hypocrites were blowing a trumpet, drawing attention to themselves. They wanted the praise and adoration of the people, not God. It's prideful and boastful, and, and that does not please the Lord. So we should help others out of love for God and love for them, because they also are from God, even if they don't accept Him or admit it. They are still image bearers of God, and we need to recognize that. And it, it is our duty to do these things, and we do not need that fanfare or praise from men. Now, Jesus is going to teach us about prayer in a similar way in the next verses. And I kind of want to go into this in a little detail, so bear with me. We're looking at Matthew chapter 6 again, still, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now notice there are four parts to this short lesson about praying. First, there are the warnings regarding our hearts and motives for prayer. In verse 5, notice the hypocrites that Jesus refers to. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They pray in public for the purpose of having the praise of men. Again, they are satisfying their pride in themselves. They're, they're proclaiming, look at me, I'm so godly, you know, I'm so wonderful. And the only reward they will receive is the recognition of men. And it's going to be from men like themselves who do not understand or really know God. These will recognize and praise each other for these public, prideful displays because they don't know God. Later in this sermon, Jesus is going to refer to people like this, and they will come to him at judgment and say, Did we not do these things in your name? And he will tell them he never knew them. Which is true, because they never had a relationship with Jesus. Their relationship is focused on themselves and on the praise they can get. So, even sadder, they never knew the Lord. For all their pride and public displays, they just did not, they just did not truly know God. Now, the second part of this lesson on prayer begins in verse 6 and runs through verse 8. Now, this is the way I'm breaking this up, okay? So, I'm not really doing this based on anyone else. It's just the way I look at this and I see these parts. So, that's how I'm presenting this. So, Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Jesus tells us to go to God in private and pray with sincerity. Remove the temptation to pray in a way that you might do to try and impress anyone who's listening or who can hear you. Go and have a real conversation. Just talk to God our Father. Bring, you know, we need to bring our needs and concerns to Him. God knows what we need even better than we do. And Jesus also tells us not to use vain repetitions. Now, vain repetitions kind of has two meanings in this context. 
One is having pride in the words we use to impress God. Now that's really just trying too hard. God is not impressed by eloquence or fancy language. He is impressed with true, heartfelt expression. He wants to know what's on your heart. Psalm 51 verse 7, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. When we come to God, He wants to know what is on our hearts. Don't come to God to try and impress Him. We can never impress God with our language. Come to God humbly and make your requests known with a thankful heart. Now, the second thing about the vain repetition means that it's empty. So that if we just come to God and we're just repeating the same things over and over and thinking that the more we speak, the more he hears, well, we've got the wrong idea. Some pagans thought they had to repeat things over and over to wake up their gods, you know, to get the attention of the idols they were worshiping, almost like a magic incantation. But we have God's attention when we pray to him. We don't need to just pile up words for him to listen to us. Also, a long prayer is not necessarily a better prayer. A sincere prayer is what counts. A prayer that comes from the heart. And remember, God knows our needs. He cares. We do not need to repeat things over and over for Him. We're not performing a ritual to summon God. He's already here with us. Now, the third part of this lesson about prayer begins in verse 9, and it includes the prayer itself, and it runs down through verse 13. So we're going to read that again. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Notice in verse 9 the word, therefore. That word, it means because of what I said before. Now you could restructure that a little bit if you want, but what Jesus is saying, he's saying is, because of what I just told you about prayer, now pray this way. Okay? Therefore, once you get into, once you get in private and you're ready to say a sincere prayer, here is an example prayer for you, right? That's what he gives us here, a humble, sincere prayer. Everything covered in this prayer is in God's will for us. It is a good and right prayer, and it's good and right to pray this way. We should not endlessly repeat this prayer, but it is a good starting point. We can use this example as a model prayer. Children can be taught this prayer and shown how to pray. And this prayer does not cover everything that we might pray for or need, but it is a good example. And if we think about this, I said we shouldn't repeat this prayer endlessly, but at the same time, when you're learning to pray, it's not a bad start at all. It's a very good start, and it kind of helps 
helps you learn and figure out what um, what you should pray and how you should pray, right? So let's go through the prayer a little bit at a time. The first thing we notice in this prayer is our Father. Plural. Our Father. This implies it is a good group prayer as well as a private prayer. Then we see it is our Father in heaven. Now this is to be clear who we are addressing. Who are we praying to? We are praying to the one true God, the creator of the universe who is our Father. He is our Father who cares for us like a father. See, there's also a comparison being made to a father, right? But he is our one true father. Jesus is making this very clear. We are to think of God as our heavenly father. A father instructs and corrects and helps. He gives guidance and wisdom and aid as needed. Now, notice there is still correction there, though. There is correction that we need sometimes. Sometimes we have it wrong. So we're not praying to an uncaring idol or a block of wood. We're praying to our Father who wants to hear from us. He's waiting and listening for us to pray to Him, and He cares for us like a Father because He is our one true Creator Father. Then there is hallowed be your name. We don't use the word hallowed much today. It means worthy to be praised, honorable, greatly revered. In other words, we should praise God and honor Him. Hold Him with the highest esteem. Think greatly of Him. Know that He is the most honorable and is worthy of all our praise. Why do we praise Him? Because of all the blessings He has given us, our life, our families, our friends, our loved ones. In James, he says this in James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So all the good things in life come from our Heavenly Father. So we praise Him and honor Him for all the good He has done. Then we see the first request of the prayer. Now I want you to notice their request in this prayer, the way Jesus says this, it's more like a statement. But it is a request. And it's just the way they spoke and prayed back then. They would say things in such a way as, as if it were a fact. And that's through faith, believing in God, believing that if it's in His will, it will happen. And so, this is the way Jesus states this. Your kingdom come. We pray for God's kingdom to fully come to being. If you look with me in Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, we're going to look at the first five verses. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, 
and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So this is what we're praying for. You can read more about this in chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation. But this is the new home, the new Jerusalem. And we shall live there with God forever. And we're praying for that glorious kingdom to come. We want to be with our Heavenly Father for eternity. Next, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the second request we make of our Lord. We ask for His will to happen on earth. So what is God's will? A simple answer is found in Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. You're probably very familiar with this. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So God's will is for us to act out justice, to do justly, right? And mercy, to love mercy, and that means kindness, to love kindness, being kind to others. In humility, we should do these things for God. It means being fair and having integrity with everyone. That's part of that justice. And then it also means showing his love and kindness to everyone. And of course, being humble with God, knowing that we need him. This is God's will for all of us, to love our neighbors as ourselves. In heaven, God's will is immediately carried out, always, perfectly. His will is done constantly, consistently, and with joy. We are praying for that here in the lives of everyone on this planet, not just ourselves. Even in this prayer, we are showing love to everyone. Next, give us this day our daily bread. Notice this is not just a selfish request for me, myself. It is give us what we need for this day. Notice we're not told to pray for wealth or riches or abundance of resources. No, pray for our daily needs. Come to God each day and ask Him for what we need. Realize that Every day we need God. We rely on Him. He knows what we need better than we do. Ask Him to fulfill our needs each day. Now this sounds like a purely physical request because it's, you know, give us this day our daily bread. But we can also apply this to our spiritual and mental and emotional needs. Whatever need we have, our Father knows and knows how best to help us. We pray that God will give us what we need each day. To, to live this life faithfully for Him, to take care of our families and to help others, the Lord will supply all we need every day. Again, in every way, 
not just food or physically, but spiritually and mentally and emotionally. And this is good for us as it reminds us daily to depend on God, to trust Him that He will supply whatever we need. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't work, but just that we acknowledge our true source. Every good thing comes from our Father. Now, we might be tempted to say rich people don't need to pray this. They already have abundance and no need for God's help. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 and 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is, a, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Rich people have an abundance of material goods and or wealth. And that can be seen as a blessing, but it can also be a curse. The temptations of the rich are many and strong. They can be proud and believe that they have no need of God. Their wealth also gives them a greater opportunity for sin that some of us would probably not understand. Um, when you can buy whatever you desire, then the temptation to desire the wrong things is going to be greater. It's going to grow. And with easy access comes easy sin. So we should take pity on the rich and the wealthy and the powerful it's easy to be deceived that there's no God when you feel like you can get everything you want on your own. The deceit of riches and pride, both are very strong. Notice Jesus said twice how difficult it is for the wealthy to get into heaven. But then Jesus also tells us the only way it is possible. Again, speaking to the disciples Matthew 19, verse 26, just a couple of verses down, he tells them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So it's really only possible with God. But also remember, people may be wealthy, but they still have other needs, spiritual, emotional, and mental needs. Don't forget we all have these same needs and our Father will supply us with all we need every day. Now the next part of the Lord's model prayer is, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We all need forgiveness, right? John reminds us that we all have sin. We are not perfect. So of course we must pray for forgiveness. This is another request we are making. Asking God, our Father, to forgive us for our sins. Now, we might wonder why Jesus uses the word debt and debtor in this verse, since in our minds, especially nowadays, this is not exactly the same as sin. But the idea is that when we sin, we are creating a debt. We owe God service and faith, and when we sin, we are sinning against God. So we owe Him that debt of wrongdoing. If you look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. See, when we sin, we deserve to die. 
But Jesus has paid our debt with his life on the cross. Look at the second part of that same verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus paid that debt for us on the cross, and he washes us free of our sin with his blood. If we look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, meaning we're following the Lord, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So the Lord continues to forgive us as we go through this life, so long as we are being faithful, following him, and we repent for our sins. Jesus cleanses us, and we are forgiven. However, this request comes with a further requirement and reminder as we forgive our debtors. In other words, we are forgiven our sins as we forgive others who sin against us. We must forgive others. People are going to sin against us in this life. No one is perfect, and we must be prepared to forgive them as needed. We need to forgive them for ourselves so we will be forgiven. But also, we should forgive so we can maintain a relationship with them, so perhaps we can help them, or one day they may help us. We don't know. But we want to retain a caring relationship with others, just like God does with us. We don't want to cut people off, just like God doesn't cut us off. And that's going to require forgiveness. So to follow the Lord and receive forgiveness for our sin, we must also forgive others. Now, our final request in the prayer is, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, in the first part of this, we are asking God to not bring us into temptation, right? But James says, this is in James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Just as Jesus told us to remove temptations from our lives, you remember he said to pluck out your eye, to cut off your hand or foot. He doesn't want you to seriously really do that. But he's saying remove the temptations, remove the things from your life that tempts you to sin. We are praying here for God to lead us away from temptations. Help us clear our lives of temptations to sin, of course. You know, and this is always in God's will. He wants to deliver us from evil. You know, the second part of the quest. He's, we're, we're praying that he will lead us away from temptations, deliver us from evil. That's the idea. Now, some translations, like the New King James Version, says evil one. But looking at the interlinear Bibles, it appears that what is really intended there is to say deliver us from all evil or from evil in general. But that would be all evil. So if you relate evil one to Satan, then you could say that basically both translations mean basically the same thing. So we are praying for God to help us remove temptation and in so doing, deliver us from evil. Because sin is evil, and when we 
sin, we owe that debt, that debt of death. So this is a preventative request to help us prevent sin. And it's like the man who asked Jesus to help his unbelief. Jesus was going to, I forget if Jesus was going to heal or um, exercise a demon from his son, cast a demon out. I think he was going to cast a demon out. But nonetheless, he said, you know, um, the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. And, and Jesus did that. But, but see, his request was, I do believe, because Jesus said, you, you need to believe. And the man said, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so here we're saying, we're following, we're trying to stay away from sin, you know, we're, we're trying to remove, but we're asking God to help us, also help us with this problem, help us with our temptations. Because that's what we really need help for, right? And God will help us because it is His will to do so. Remember that everything in this prayer is in God's will. Jesus would not give us a flawed example. And the more I've looked at this, the more I am totally positive that this prayer is a great model prayer. It is one of the best. And there's nothing flawed or wrong with it that we should cast it away. Now, finally, the prayer ends by acknowledging God the Father. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God's kingdom and power and glory are eternal. Amen. Amen means so be it or let it be so. And kind of the way we say it when we do this, it has a meaning of let God's will be done. And that is what we are saying to our Heavenly Father. Let your will be done in our lives, Father. And that's what we mean by Amen. Now, the fourth and final part of the lesson concerning prayer is actually a reinforcement of forgiveness. And this is so important that Jesus makes sure to repeat it and even uses different words. If we look at verses 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, instead of saying debt or debtor, he's saying trespasses, offenses, sins. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So here Jesus is even clearer if we do not forgive, then we are not forgiven. Now, Jesus told a parable on this, too. Let's look at just the end of this parable. I'm sure you've seen it. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And I think the, the last few verses really tell us what we need to know. I'm looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 32 through 35. Then his master, and you can think of his master in this parable as being God. And this servant just being one of us, right? Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. This servant had owed his master a ton of debt. And that's like us. We owed God a ton of debt from all our sin. Now the next verse, he says, Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? His master forgave him all that huge debt, just like God forgives us all our huge sin. 
So should we not also forgive our fellow person, our fellow neighbor, our fellow Christian, our fellow anybody, really? Just we should also be forgiving to our fellow people. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. That's because this man had not forgiven his fellow. He had not forgiven his fellow servant. And he had sent his fellow servant to jail because his fellow servant owed him just a little bit of money, right? And that's a good way to think about our sin. Our sin against God is great, huge. But people's sin against us is usually pretty minor, very small. It's, it's not usually a big thing. So for us not to forgive others is just wrong. And then Jesus sums it up here. In verse 35, So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. After all God has forgiven us, and he continues to forgive us through Christ as we go through this life and we still still sin, we should also forgive and continue to forgive people who sin against us. Also, you can think of it if someone isn't necessarily sinning against you, but they have offended you or hurt you in some manner or, you know, made you angry or whatever. I mean, any of those things can happen. You know, make sure that you forgive that person. Forgive them. They, most times people do not mean to cause you any offense or hurt you. Most of the time people really don't. Now, some people do it on purpose and that's when it's worse. We still need to forgive them. That's just the way it is. Because if we do not forgive, then we will not be forgiven. And that means that we are still dead in our sins and will not be in heaven. If we are not forgiven, that's where we are. We're we're dead in our sins and we will go to hell. So we want to make sure that we forgive so that we will be forgiven. And this is extremely important. And it's important that all of us understand this and follow Jesus' example. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And this is how we need to look at other people, even if they're Christians or not Christians. It doesn't matter. We need to look at other people in this world and forgive them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. So I want to stop here at this point and we'll continue on with our study of the Sermon on the Mount, looking at our foundation of faith that Jesus has given us. Uh, We'll look more into this next time. So I want to thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. May God bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.